Hey, welcome to episode 15 of Shit We Don't Talk About, powered by Helix Interactive. I'm your host, Mia Voss, and if you like what you hear today, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends. My guest today is Sharon Jameson of the Jameson Foundation. She's a life strategist, author, minister, entrepreneur, and corporate leader. Today, we're going to dish on the topic of racism, religion, the recent election, and more. Tune in. It gets good. Here we go. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Hi, I'm so excited to be here with you, Mia. Thanks so much for the opportunity to join you today. I am so excited to talk with you because, first of all, we had to to sift and sort through a myriad of topics that we could cover uh, because there's so much going on in the world, but we have landed on this particular topic, which I love. And, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and the aftermath of an election and, you know, being women, we want to talk about this election and some of the choices that people made and, and why they did that. So let's jump into it. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I'm happy about the election results, of course, uh, to have a new president, vice president elect as a woman. Um, I think my major concern, Mia, was the percentage of white women who voted for Trump. And it makes me wonder really how not only do they feel about not being uh, being supported by not being celebrated as women, but it also makes me wonder what mothers could vote for a man who has children in cages in Mexico, but also how could a mother who saw how a person was racist and sexist and and um, mock someone who yeah bullying a mock someone who was differently abled. I, that's hard for me as a woman because we are usually nurturers. We are usually very loving and generous and kind and compassionate. So I'm really struggling with some of the results. If you are, uh, when I fi- eventually put this up on video, you'll see that I'm about as white as you can get. And uh, <laughs> I am, I join you in the perplexity of how that decision was made. You know, it's been a, a long road leading up to this. You know, f- four years ago, I know uh, we both sat in the same space of dread and, uh, but still hope. And, uh, and I was saying earlier on another conversation of we had no idea at that point how what the, what the ramifications uh, were. I think the hardest thing for me to join you in that conversation is that um, there how, how that choice was made in the face of all these different things. Now you can talk so many different ways. You know, the, the second you talk about cages, somebody will say, well, the Obama administration built those cages. But we all know what the facts were of that as well. That was for um, a different purpose. Yes, I didn't agree with it back then either. So don't get me started on that. However, that was built with a different purpose in mind, a different time frame. It was not just sent a bunch of people into a cage. So we'll 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say to people, okay, you can try and take it on that uh, stance, but the racism piece is what I really had the hardest time with is it's created, um, you know, racism didn't start with Trump. We all know that. But, and you live in, in Atlanta, we can speak on great links about that, but, um, but he really gave license to a lot of folks. And so now with it being the vote, we have been proven, that theory has been proven that um, people are okay with it. And that's where you and I are sitting today of how did you as women supposed to be known as nurturers, how did you, how did you get to that? And, and we, we know that you have a background of being uh, spiritual and being in the ministry and uh, talk a little bit about that of, of how, how you think we're not going to solve it, obviously, but <laughs> how we think people came to this to be okay with that. Yeah. You know, what a, um, a great lead in when we talk about racism, because to me, racism is violence to the soul. Oh, wow. It is violence to the soul. And yes, Trump did not uh, begin it, but it exposed the depth of it. it it revealed what racism looks like because sometimes people think that racism is only revealed in people who are clan you know ku klux clanners but mm -hmm. there's other ways that racism not only takes your power away but it takes your hope away racism is a thief it steals access, it steals your hope, it steals your sense of belonging, it steals your sense of safety. Racism steals your identity, it cripples your self-confidence, mm -hmm. it silences your voice. I don't think people understand the, the, the depth of damage that's caused by racism. You have to think about the goal of racism when it was put in place, because it was a human construct, was to dehumanize. And so anytime you see dehumanization, discrimination, um, diminishment, we know that there's some racism there. And racism is really based on greed. If I can make you think less of you, I can control you. It's a way of ensuring that people are predictable but not purposeful. But I believe, here's the spiritual part, we all came to the world to be purposeful. Mm -hmm. We all came to the world to add and contribute something that only we can contribute. But if I am socialized and brainwashed and programmed to think that I am inferior, I am less than, that I am stupid, that I'm ugly, that I'm the opposite of anything that is uh, good and great, I will never contribute to the world. And mm -hmm. so I will not only feel hopeless, but I will pass on a, a whole mentality of hopelessness for generations to come. And that's what happens with racism. We take people's hope and then we blame them for, for not taking initiative. Yes, I agree. And that's, that's been the, the standard line, I think, for a lot of the parties too. See, look, see, look what it is. And, and when you have um, that systemic racism, and I, I will say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this into a positive spin just for a second. The one thing that I feel like for people who want to, one, tap into their spirituality, uh, be plugged in, is that uh, the Trump administration, and I say administration because it's a whole group of them that are hot hot mess has uh, revealed is that it's it's nothing new um and that you know for anybody who thinks well you know they uh you got the vote 
we talked about, we're going to talk about that too, about, about uh, you know, 100 years ago, what was going on with the suffragette, with the, with the voter movement and how that in itself too was racist and, and really pushed a lot of black women to the side. Now we come back 100 years later and look how Stacey Abrams and black women have brought that vote in. So y'all better pay attention to this. Yes, yes. The, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. It's interesting. One of the the um, when I look at racism, it did was a it was t- it was a terrible thief, but it mm-hmm. also produced a certain level of resilience. Yes, we and creativity. Mm. When I think about my ancestors and how, in the midst of racism and segregation and Jim Crow and lynching, that they, that we were still able to finish colleges. Um, build businesses, build hospitals, build our own black institutions, build, um, educate our kids, build our churches, build our publishing, even in the midst of, of fear and, mm-hmm. and bombs and death and burning down towns like in yeah. Oklahoma, yes, ma'am. there was still this resilience and this tenacity that I am not going to give up. I'm not going to give in to my circumstances. So I'm so proud when I see my see the 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 tenacity and the resilience mm-hmm. of black people, but also but all people of color. And uh, so uh, racism, like I said, is a terrible thief. It's it's violence to the soul. And when I continue to see people push forward, even in the midst of a history that denied you, it really makes me proud of our people. And now as a minister, it makes me upset about the church because the church was complicit in racism and sexism. Many times, even today, you have this evangelical white conservative Christian base that they support Trump. It's like, it's as if they support God, guns, and greed. Whew, sis, and, yeah. and that is and that's hurtful because it's even throughout history, the when when the church had a moral obligation to stand up for justice and liberation, many of the evangelical white Christians did not. So or they turned their head. Mm. And so that that which is in total contradiction to the Bible that talks about liberation, total contradiction in the sense that there's no difference between Gentile and Jew, that we are all our siblings. Mm. So it's interesting that we listen and, and inculcate and, and, um, evangelize parts of the Bible. Yes. It's very selective. Is it not? I, I appreciate that because that, that more than anything. Now I grew up in a, a born again, Christian home that was, It was a tough one, I will say, because as an adult now, and and I've been going through my own spiritual awakening, I see things that really, really made Christ uh, very sad for the way things were were handled. And I see it more now than ever. I've been using the phrase a lot of like, I know Jesus is flipping some tables with what is going on in the world. He's, I know he's like, I never said that. <laughs> y'all, y'all stop, take those words out of your mouth because I never, I never said that. So it has been um, very convenient. And what, what you said about, you know, the, there's so many people of voting that are the evangelical. I, I really am having a hard time with that, Sharon, of like of justifying or, or getting it right in my head of how you still voted for an administration that seems to go, that seems antithetical to everything 
that Jesus stands for. And now I have a much more expanded view of God and Christ in my world um, and have incorporated a lot more of um, things that are just more of a spiritual nature, not just that traditional uh, Jesus peace, so to speak. Um, and that makes me know even more so that that is, that is just the opposite of what uh, compassion and uh, kindness and the way for the world to even be successful. Because if you're going to oppress one, one huge piece of this world, nobody's going to do well. Nobody's going to do well. And it's, it, even though I'm a Jesus girl, my first marriage was to a Muslim. Okay. So I'm so you- very, very open. And also I believe in really tapping into all the parts of me from my uh, indigenous, you know, I'm also yes. Cherokee. So oh, I, I, wow. I take all my stuff. I, yes, my, ma'am. I, I take all my stuff and I need mm. it. So, so um, I, I would say that's how, that. how my own brand of Christianity might not work with everybody else, but yeah. I feel like we all have to determine what's best for us. And I think one of the things that that's really challenging for me is when we, we, people don't see that Jesus and justice go together. Ooh, and to good. me, people like Jesus and just us, but no, not just you, just all of us. Wow. And so I think that's very difficult when we, we, we don't see that there, there is this superiority that, um, that it's almost like a lot of the evangelical Christians are bowing down to a pharaoh of white supremacy. <gasps> wow. And so I will bow down to this pharaoh of white uh, um supremacy i will continue to to make hardships and if we think about the israelites i'm like well listen there is going to be some plagues if you don't let the people go and we're seeing them in our life now pandemics to me i everything i see some signs because fairness is 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 the is the uh, bedrock compassion and sharing and community is the bedrock of any type of faith. Mm. And so if I cannot treat you like you're my brother and my sister, the whole house is going to be in trouble. And it's the same thing to me, even when I think about, you know, this evangelical Christians, they're, even with same-sex marriage, it's like you're worrying about what's going on in the bedroom, but the whole house is burning down. <laughs> Sorry, that's the best analogy. You know what um, I'm saying? It, because the ridiculousness of it, of you're looking at this and, and you know, let's, let's jump on to what I realized in the last two weeks of, um, and again, when, whenever you're listening to this, maybe later on down the road, but, but Sharon and I are still reeling in the, in the truth and the reality of this, is that this, the difference between pro-life and pro-birth. Yes. Speak to me on that. Yeah. What I find so often I find that there's a segment of this, this Christianity that's, that, that's pro-life, but they're not. They're really pro-birth. Pro-birth means I want you to not have an abortion, and I want the baby to, to be born. But when, after the baby is born, I'm going to do nothing to help the baby live. Right. I'm not going to make sure that there are good schools. I'm not going to make sure they have good access. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make sure that they have equality. I'm not going to make sure that they have a healthy self-esteem. I'm not going to make sure that I represent them in the history books. I'm going to make sure that they don't see themselves in a positive way in the media. I'm going to make sure that I do nothing to give them the confidence and the self-worth to be contributing members to society. So you're not pro-life, you're pro-birth. Because if you're pro-life, you would not worry about 
And the history and the research proves that, that by the time a black child, black male child is five years old, you already are streamlining him from preschool to the jail, mass incarceration. That is not pro-life. So I think people need to say, I want you to have the child, but I'm not going to do anything to help you. And also, I think it is hypocritical because if you look at the highest divorce rate, it's by these these evangelical Christians. Mm. So we take the Bible, the Bible belt, and beat you with it. So now we have incest, we have double lives, we have high divorce rates, uh, we, we have all types of wickedness, as we want to call it. Yes. Because you have, you don't allow people to be human. You don't, you don't believe in therapy. You don't believe in, in medication. You don't believe in coaching. You believe that you're the only one who understand the Bible, which mm. we all see the Bible based on our live experiences. You're the one who is taking your toxic brand of Christianity and going over to other countries and telling people, trying to be evangelists when you're not, because the people already have their own culture and their own religion. You take your Eurocentric understanding of Christianity and you go around the world as missionaries and Deny people their own culture, deny people their own gods, deny people their own faith, deny people their own religion. And then you want to pat yourself on the back and say, we're good Christians. The irony, the the grossness of it is just, it's so, um, again, like even coming up with the reality of even in this last year, have we learned about what happened uh, in Tulsa uh, with Black Wall Street? I did not realize that, uh, I just re learned recently because uh, this is uh, National American, um, Native American History Month. Uh, when you, and with that being in your heritage as well, like just how bad it was of taking uh, Native Americans. You couldn't speak your language. They were put into these schools. They were put into these these awful situations in boarding schools, again, in the name of Jesus. And that's that's been going on, you're right, of going around the world and preaching uh, that brand. I think that's why it is so tough right now. What we're feeling such pushback is because there's so much fear on the part of white evangelicals as they, they do see the crumbling of this system because representation, which is so important. Oh my gosh. I am learning that so much too of uh, not, not taking over the culture, by the way, not appropriation, but representation, the really big piece of that. And I think that's why it is getting to be so loud. And, you know, the folks that did vote for Trump are, are pushing back so loud because we're coming, a lot of us are coming in waves of like, no, it, we've got to break this cycle. Absolutely. And you know, to me, some of the, some of it is the fear that when no you get fear. power, you're going to do with to me what I did to you. I know. And that it is, is that is and a truth. That's the, but if you look at the culture and if you know anything about the African-American culture, we have always been accepting to other cultures. Mm -hmm. So has the Native Americans. That's how they were decimated. So the thing is, you know, there, there is, there is, it's, a part of the faith is forgiveness. The part of the faith is, is, is embodiment. Remember that African cultures and native cultures are more communal by, by how we were raised. We, didn't, we don't have that toxic in, uh, individualism. That's very Eurocentric. Very. 
right? Yes, you don't have to, you know, all by myself and pull yourself up for the bootstraps. And, you know, I started a business. That's not, that's not their language. It's it, our language is always community. And, and right. so, so I think the challenge that I, it makes me sad is that I'm starting to see people who look like me, accept that Eurocentric mindset. That's dangerous. I'm saying it didn't work. It's not our heritage. But what happens is when you have internalized that you're, the, the same racism, because remember, we all are sl- swimming in the same water. The whole, we're breathing in the same toxic air. And so remember the water, I'm breathing the same water as you are breathing. So the challenge is I also have imbibed that toxic racism that has made me hate myself. Mm-hmm. And so one of the work that we have to do as all people of color is to understand how we will colonize and we have to decolonize our thinking because if I don't see how that part of me is, is what I was taught to hate myself, I will start to use that hate against other people who look just like me. And that is the sad part is that we start to, we have ingested the poison and now we are making and feeding the poison to our community. And um, so, so I think that's so, 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 so many different levels to what you said. That's why I think it's, it is crumbling. People are concerned that, you know what, I did some wrong stuff. Well, just say, I'm sorry. Just, just address it. Just acknowledge it. Just that. And that's the start. That is, and that's part of the detox though. When you think about detox, um, you don't go rolling in and uh, just kind of have some have some chamomile tea and and pray a little bit and then it's all done. You're literally getting that system out of your system, right? And so I I do feel like that's that it's going to be a, a a nationwide thing and for everyone to not only and I I have to see it myself as a white woman too of um where the probably one of the the biggest conversations I've had to have with people was the beginning thing about white privilege and the uncomfortable piece of that. Um, one just starting with somehow I'm gonna I'm gonna soul search myself. Where have I been complicit? Whether that's in uncomfortable conversations or uh, looking at the privilege, that was probably one of my biggest things this year too. Starting with the uh, Central Park. Uh, bird watching incident that happened directly, um, I believe, even the day before George Floyd, was the 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 big problem with liberal white women <laughs> and of us, you know, thinking that everybody's on that same page too. But that white privilege seeps into everything. So when you don't start to see that that you have to you have to soul search yourself. And a lot of this work is going to start with all of us soul searching. And I appreciate what you said that too, about how it seeped in for all of us in different ways of being used to that. And then real quick back on this idea too, I think even with the nuclear families is where things really started to go awry because Native Americans, yeah, that was, there was not just the little the cookie cutter houses and you just took care of your family. I think that's when that, that isolation really contributes a lot to to many of the problems in our society. I totally agree. And the isolation, you know, the, the families like were communal it happened with slavery. You know, we just sell your family apart, you know, <sighs> I, I just, you know, ship you over here and mm-hmm. the Native Americans and 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 and, and to, to not acknowledge, I, I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, in a coaching experience and the coach said 
that all, you know, she, one of the things that she didn't appreciate was that all of the Native Americans were drunks in Montana. First, I almost fell out my chair, right? Oh my goodness. I, uh, so however, I'm looking around the room, Mia, mm-hmm. not one liberal white woman said anything. Wow. So of course- There's your complicity. Yep, yep. There's a complicity, like you said. So, mm-hmm. so this, sometimes the liberal white women, I'm thinking, they say, well, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say either, but this is what I told her. I say, it's interesting that you say that you're concerned about the, the, the uh, alcoholism in the Native American community. But if your family, in your community experienced genocide, your women were raped, your kids were taken away from you, you, they took your religion, took your culture, took your language. Now, to, uh, America broke 200 treaties and, and put you on a reservation with lots of no warning water, with schools that are under, under, um, under-resourced. Yes. And you have the highest incidence of diabetes, problems with COVID. Would you drink? Listen, they, the mommy generation, the mommy yoga generation drinks just from inconvenience sometimes. Oh. You see the way society is. We did a whole show on that, let oh, alone. Yeah, I, I hear these white women, oh, you know what? I, I had to take Joey to school and I have to work a full-time job. Well, black women have been working full-time jobs and being the head of households for years. But then for you to say that you are concerned about alcoholism, but mm-hmm. not understanding what were the circumstances... Mm-hmm. a person need to escape just think your whole family i said just what if someone came to your house mm-hmm. into your kids away raped your mother raped your daughters cut your hair off and rearranged everything in your family how would you feel how would you feel and it, it's in sorry trigger alert for everyone of, of what we were just discussing but that's exactly how violent it is. And, and to take away, which to go back, like the land that, that they were put on, and I live out here in Colorado. So I, I see a lot of what is uh, land that just, uh, it looks like something out of like uh, the Roadrunner. Do you know what I mean? It's just not tenable. It's not a super friendly land. That's what they, uh, that's the land they were given. Um, and I do see that of the, of the, um, the liberal white woman overlooking all of these circumstances. You get to overlook all of these circumstances, look just at the problem, right? And we could spend a whole topic on generational wealth of what was, of what was taken away. If you've been taken, if never, never given any uh, fail forward opportunity, again, a whole other show on that one too. And then to acknowledge as well for that situation of, of looking around, no one else is speaking up. You're tired of being the angry black woman, right? Yes. And, and I'm like, and I've said that before. I'm like, well, yeah, you need to pay attention to why somebody's angry because no one is saying anything no one is calling it out. I do feel, I'm very encouraged to feel like I think that more people are speaking up and out. And I will say this as well. Now I want to see where the pedal hits the metal. Now that the election is over, what we're going to go back to with not just posting a black square, about Black Lives Matter and where's how is this conversation going to continue um, now that we know a lot of things are out and how f- people feel. I, I want to see people stepping up a lot more. That's my benediction for the day. 
I, I, you know, I, I think we have the same benediction. Mia. I, <laughs> I, I think that it's going to be important that white women and black women be in, and be in connection with each other and talk mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. Because I still feel that even, even when we are quote unquote woke, there's a level of wokeness that you cannot learn without being in the struggle beside us. Because I feel that, for example, in that group of all those white woke women, the challenge is, there's an analogy that we say, say, because I also do diversity work. It's one thing to say, oh, babe, you know, to to get the babies out of the water. It's another thing to to go and say, who's throwing the babies down in the water? And that's what we're not doing. We're trying to address the symptom, but we're not getting to the root. What's going on? Let's c- kind of see how this is all fitting together, the circumstances, and so we can address it. What I find is that we, I see what, what people doing really great work, but not understanding the issues and talking to us because sometimes it's, it's I, I, I tell white women, you can't center your perspective on an issue that is an issue that is uh, really different to the, in the black community. For example, I can't center myself in an issue and how racism affects maybe Latinx women. I can't do that. I can't center myself. And I think that the privilege that a lot of white women have to understand is that it's good to understand the issue, but you can't center yourself or look through it through your lens mm-hmm. because your lens is not the best lens. For example, I can't center myself with, you know, um, Asian women or Latinx women. I or, or I can't center myself when women with trans women. We have to understand that even though there's some issues, we have to let the person who understands the issues from their filter and their perspective to lead and support them. The challenge is, is that the white privilege is the dominant group is used to being in charge. I know it. The alpha. And, yeah, Apex the predator. And so it, what happens is, is that you have a, a strong black women. And so what happens is we, it's like, how can, how can we say, you know what? You have to lead this. I'm going to support you. Even when I go to Latinx, I know I have to, I have to, I said, let me follow you. Yes. And that is part of the humility. And that takes courage. That's strength to me. The strength yeah. is being a leader, but knowing how to follow. That's strength. It, it is. And, and learning how to be supportive without fixing. Uh, without uh, with with considering that things are a symptom rather than the cause and the the example of why do they you know why does so and so X Y Z talking about Native Americans and drinking and things like that so just seeing like that problem to fix that by the way is is so based in ego it's so ego based and what I would love to, to see and this was one of the original things we had. Uh, talked about when we first jumped on together too is of the bonding of women together. Now, how can women work together? Can can you imagine if women with all these different perspectives uh, coming from all these different cultures, if we started getting it together because we are so good at looking up above and saying, "Okay, I see the kids in the water, but where that actually come from?" That that way that that our minds work. Um, which are not uh, ego-based, uh, that, that uh, left brain, right brain thing that I think women are so good at balancing, which is why we even talk about multitasking. How is it that you multitask so well? Well, I have a vagina. That's, yeah. that's how I... That's it, right? <laughs> right? I'm with you. That, that's where our strength lies. Yes. Because 
there's a saying, and I hope people can hear it from, and I'll explain it. Um, it says that our friendships should look like a garden and not a ghetto. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the ghetto, I'm not talking, I'm, I'm talking about the mentality of sameness, homogeneity, mm-hmm. of, of, of everything being one color. So if we understand that our friendships need to look like gardens, different flowers, different heights, different values, different smells, yeah. then if we have that garden mentality, yeah. we can see all types of growth. We can see solutions. We can see creativity and ingenuity. Mm-hmm. But what happens is if people don't feel like they have a voice and if they cannot be heard, then I can't work with you because it hurts too bad to continue to be subjugated. I don't think people understand what being constantly subjugated does to the soul. And so if I have to be subjugated, I was raised to be subjugated as a black woman. I'm a black a subjugated in corporate America. I'm subjugated over here. I'm subjugated in, in, in the pulpit. Subjugate. Now, if I, I, at some point, my spirit is going to say enough. And so, so I have to make a choice. The choice is, do I, do I try to make progress with a group that subjugates me or do I just try to save myself? And sometimes I have to save myself because I can my spirit can be beat up again. I cannot be, I cannot be another doormat in another position mm-hmm. when I have the information. So I think that the growth is for, for white women and really all women, all different types of color women to, to, develop a sense of trust so we can work on issues without always in the back of our mind. Is she saying that because she thinks she's better than me? Oh, wait a minute. Did she say that? No, she didn't say that. You know, right. so all these types of things because there's not enough trust. But right. if I trust you, I can tell that you're, you're giving me a suggestion, not because you are trying to challenge me because of my color. You just given the suggestion because it's a better idea. Can you imagine how for all of us not having that inter how much time and energy that internal dialogue takes to like filter what you were just talking about? Like what is it? I have to tell you the what is that supposed to mean dialogue that can be in your head is like a drain. It's like having a, a program open on your computer that just drains away from that resource. So if we can get to that point, yes, where is it is not that having to have and, and that is a defense mechanism that understandably so and and think about this too um this this summer again the entire world toward turns towards the black community to say okay now i'm listening and you know everybody's like really you know so now the whole spotlight turns and then they uh it's been turned into you've been turned into a monolith as well which is is a phrase i really didn't even know until this year and it makes so much sense like okay now we're listening now tell us how to fix it um it's not that there's so much more work to be done so again us bonding together as women but also coming from the different cultures is where it's going to be. And again, it's not a kumbaya thing either because kumbaya means is equates to not being messy and we are messy as humans and, and individuals. So I'm excited to see where we go with that. I'm sorry. Something you just said about messy. I'm sorry. Just hit me. Oh yes, please. I think that's so important to understand that messy does not mean mean. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times we have to give each other grace, but grace comes with trust. So yes. messy doesn't always be mean. Second thing I think is the difference that we have to be really uh, be clear about is that unity does not mean uniformity. And I think so often we feel that 
to, to be on one accord, I have to divest of who I am and totally assimilate into the dominant culture to be considered unified. That's not true. You, unity means that we can all be different, but have the same goal. But we won't know how to do unity well until we get out of our supremacy that requires uniformity. And that is the thing. And the problem is the only people who are who are contorting themselves are the people who have to deal with different levels of being marginalized. As a black woman, um, I, I have to deal with being marginalized. I'm still in corporate America now. And, and there's something that people always expect me to assimilate and to give up who I am and to, and to even in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Now, as I, since I'm in my mid fifties, I don't do that anymore. Mm-mm. I didn't really do it in my forties, <laughs> but now if I go to a church and they are only using God and saying, he, 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 I will leave, 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 leave. <laughs> because because I, I don't deal I with it. it. Or if yeah. I go to a white organization with white women and they make comments. Um, and, and again, I don't mind, I don't mean comments when a person says, I didn't, I don't understand. Right. That's the grace that there's a, I'll give you grace. But if you come to me, like you have, you know, that you're more black than I am because you went to two diversity classes and a person wants to tell me about, you know, race critique. I'm like, listen, you've been educating, educated about diversity. I have endured it. So my lived experience is always going to trump what you read in the book. Yes. I, I, I started school in, in the midst of segregation. I have been hit in the head with a chair by a teacher. I've had kids jump on me when I was in second grade, give me a concussion. I have been pulled, pushed down the steps and had my head split wide open. My father has been picked up as a teacher by a white kid, dumped on the ground and had a detached his retina a couple of years ago. When my son was in kindergarten, um, uh, first grade, I'm sorry, a group of four and six year old white kids beat the heck out of my son. I had to take him out of school for a year. To heal. So when people talk about racism, you're reading a book. I experienced it. That's right. Not only on my soul, but on my body. I have scars, physical scars to prove it. And so I think that we have to understand when people are are coming and talking about diversity, that you're you're talking about it from the theoretical. I'm talking about it from the experiential. So, so, So on that, and don't have the arrogance to say, well, I read it in the book. Well, I lived the book. I wrote the book. <laughs> so let's have a different conversation. And I think it's, it's humility. It's cultural humility, mm-hmm. cultural competence. Yes. And, yes. Um, and without cultural competence, I'm scared that after Biden, I think there's going to be a backlash. And, you're gonna, and Trump's going to try to come again. The, the pendulum is going to swing. Absolutely. And I think this is where women coming into play and taking Taking the, taking the power or coming more into power. And again, seeing how many women since 2018, and I live here in Colorado, we have so many women that have come into power uh, since in, in the last two years. This is where the change is going to happen. That is a, a, an accurate uh, fear and prediction of a possibility. I agree completely. And I to, to give some advice to, to white women, uh, don't, you know, just assume there are stories like the stories that you just said of what happened in your family that have not been told. Please don't assume because somebody hasn't told that story and trotted it out for you that there are not stories like that. So take a second and sit back on that. 
Yeah. It's something um, so interesting, Mia. I had a, a time to talk to a group of white women and they kept saying, well, you know what? Tell me, tell me, tell me, you know, about racism. I said, listen, you, you Google everything. You Google. If I had been there, I'm okay, sorry. Right? If I, had- <laughs> I was terrible. I was like, so I said, so to me, it says that it's just like I'm on the plantation. Mm-hmm. So now you want me to do all the work. Yes. So, so now my, my personal self-care is you, until you read a couple of books, I won't engage in conversations with you mm-hmm. because let me tell you what that feels like for a person to say, tell me about your experiences of racism is no different than asking someone, listen, you've been raped. What did that feel like? Yeah. What did it feel like? And tell me in detail so I can yeah. really make sure. Yeah. Yes. I can really understand how it. you're really, how do they feel like they pulled off your underwear? I mean, it, it, you don't understand, people don't understand. It is that painful. Yes. And generally when people are asking you that too, it's because they, there still is going to be, and I've seen it so much. And uh, if you've been listening to my show for a while, y'all, I'm going to keep saying this until you cut, you cut it out, knock it off. Um, but th- there's never a, or rarely, I will say, and I see it so much on social media, there's never a, a period when someone says, I heard that story and they stop and they take it in. There always has to be this, but what about ism and, and, and a, a refiguring of that story in order for it to fit into your uh, narrative. And I am speaking on behalf of what I've seen a lot of, of white people do. And I will tell you that I've even gotten to the point where I'll just say, you need to Google it. I, I, Cause I can see that I can see where it's coming and being an empath. I really, I'm like, don't think I don't see that. Uh, from a million miles away. Um, so I, I think there's there's still so much work to be done, but you know, having the uncomfortable conversations and still putting it out there. I'm going to loop into, we're going to close up here because you have a book coming out that is based on, and this is part two of your journey about soaring, which I love. So you've taken a lot of your experiences and put that into coaching so that we can be better. Tell me about that. Yeah. So the book is called Deciding to Soar 2, Unwrapping Your Purpose. And I'm really excited about it because I believe we come to the world knowing what we need to know to be successful. And yeah. what, what happens is we, are, we get socialized out of our gifts. We get socialized out of our purpose because we know something as a little kid and our parents say, don't say that. Well, you know, God was talking to me, don't say that. Mm-hmm. So what happens is we stop listening. We, we lose our connection to the divine. And so the book talks about unwrapping your purpose, that sometimes we have to unwrap all this, the ways we are socialized, all this programming, all of these traumas. We have to unwrap all of that so we can do our design, um, our divine call, our purpose, our mission, our dharma, however you want to call it. And so what I did was um, the book is, is a combination of stories from my clients, um, sermons, essays, el- elder wisdom, things that I learned from my elders. Uh, 70 small chapters, very quick chapters, but it taught, but it's messages because I think that when we understand that we already know that if we can tap into that and anchor ourselves in our identity, our true identity, not the one that society told us and taught us to be, not only will we have fulfillment, but we will contribute to the world in radical ways because I think that we all have a different piece of the puzzle. But I can only be me when I know me. And if I don't know me, I can't be me. I'll become a copy clone of you. And so it's really, really important. Um, it talks about unwrapping your purpose. And then I do, in all of my programs, I 
my coaching programs, I always start with this, this talk that we're talking about now, Mia, always talk about diversity and inclusion. And the reason being is that if we don't get back to our original identity, you'll never have fulfillment. Mm. If you have a marginalized identity, you will have a marginalized life. Our imagination is based on uh, how we see. And our imagination gets uh, shortened Mm -hmm. based on our marginalization. They're connected. So the bigger I can see myself, the bigger I can imagine for myself. Yes. So that's why I always have to deal with that piece. Let's see, let's see yourself with clear eyes. Let's see yourself how God, the universe sees you before the world told you who you were. I always tell people, who are you before the world told you who you were? Oh, I love that. What a great question to ask him. What I'm loving about the, the combination of your message that I got from, from this conversation is you can be spiritual, grounded, feisty, graceful, gracious, and still stand up for what you believe in. Yeah. On yeah. that, on that thing. I have one more question for you. We're going to wrap it up and this is going to be good since you are, uh, of, of the church and a, a spiritual godly woman. What's your favorite swear word? Do you have one? <laughs> My favorite, you know what? Hell. I, it fits. It, you know, you know, and I have to be careful, um, because it it is my favorite swear word because I was always scared to go to hell mm. because people are like you're gonna go to hell but I realize now that injustice is hell so yes. I feel like you know I want to eradicate hell so I can have a taste of heaven on earth mm. that's why hell is. Way to loop that in. (laughs) That was amazing. Uh, What a great talk, you all. If you are looking to find out more about the upcoming book and our guest today, it's all going to be in the show notes. Thank you for joining me. I feel so blessed to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed our conversation and much success to you, Mia, in all that you do and say. Thank you so much. Well, that was so great to chat with Sharon. I'm really excited about her book that's coming out, Deciding to Soar 2, Unwrapping Your Purpose. So make sure to follow her at SharonJamison.com. That's S-H-A-R-R-O-N-J-A-M-I-S-O-N.com. If you like this episode, please do all the things. Like, share with your friends, subscribe, and leave me a review, especially if it's a good one. If you really like the podcast and you want to show it, head on over to shitwedonttalkaboutpodcast.com, click on the Patrons button, and become a full-time supporter of the podcast. And if you really want your own podcast and you just don't know where to start, go to helixinteractive.com and get yourself some. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X-interactive.com. All right, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Uh, Bye-bye.